Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 all right turn to daniel 2 as we continue uh in the book of daniel daniel chapter 2 and as you're turning there i'm going to read a passage out of jeremiah It's in chapter 29, and it says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So we know who this is directed to. It's directed to those who are in captivity in Babylon, including Daniel. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the land of Elasa, the son of Shapnon, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So we know the captivity of his people uh, is by the hand of God. It said, thus says the Lord, this is important, because this is what Daniel really understood, and we know that he understood this passage because he's, uh, Daniel chapter 9 tells us that he understood that they were going to be there 70 years uh, by reading the prophet Jeremiah. So verse 4 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city. This is important. Because Babylon's a godless city. It's, it's depraved. It's filled with idols. There were a thousand temples there. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, if the city does well, you do well. So why rebel against it? Pray for it. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. They were saying everything was cool. Uh, don't worry about anything. God's prophet was saying there was judgment. And this is why you're in judgment. And this is what he's instructing you to do now. 
For, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not your prophets and your uh, diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So, Lord, we, we do thank you for your word today, and as we look into Daniel chapter 2, may that be a backdrop to what's going on in Babylon. And we, we just pray that you would have your way in our hearts, that we would make room for your word today, that we would allow your spirit to inspire your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Daniel chapter 2 is an important chapter because in it you're going to find a prophecy that deals with the panoramic view of the world. God is going to give world history in advance. This is why um, many critics of the Bible do not buy into Daniel, the book of Daniel. They say that it was written later by a pseudo-author, um, that this really wasn't Daniel writing because the prophecies are so precise, and, and really for you and I as believers, we grab onto this and we say, wow, God really is sovereign. There's no question in our hearts and minds that he's in control of all of history, the rise and fall of kingdoms, the rise and fall of kings, what's going on in the world today, and I don't know how many of you have a worldview that truly believes that. We act like when things begin to go wrong that God is out of control and that his people are somehow bound by those circumstances when we find out in the biblical accounts of Scripture and God's people that they aren't bound by difficult situations. God is working supernaturally through them. And so when Daniel and his friends go into Babylon, they understand Jeremiah 29. Like I said, when you get into Daniel 9, it refers to Daniel understanding what's going on and how long they'll be there because of the prophet Jeremiah. He understood they would be there 70 years. And in that prophecy in Jeremiah, God is saying, you're going into a pagan land. You're going to be captive. But you need to leave that place better than when you came. He says, plant gardens, have families, multiply, seek the welfare of the city. Daniel and his friends understood that. They could have approached this situation. You only have three options. The three options are isolation, where you are in a pagan culture and you completely remove yourself from the culture because you're afraid that it's going to pollute you. Number two is this assimilation where you uh, compromise your convictions with God. You compromise your relationship with God and you assimilate into the culture. And you look just like them. The third option is what Daniel and his friends took and that's penetration. They chose to understand and to believe that God can penetrate a culture through their obedience to him. 
And so when we look at Jesus' words in Matthew 13, verses 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isolation doesn't, Jesus isn't speaking of isolation in that passage because the light would never shine in a dark culture. He's not speaking of assimilation because you look just like the world and the light can't shine through you. He's talking about penetration that when we walked into this sanctuary today and we turned on the lights in the sanctuary, there was not a battle between light and darkness at that time. The light overtook the darkness. The light had no problem coming on. And I would venture to say you too, when you walked into the sanctuary this morning, you didn't see this wrestling match going on with light. And you're saying, oh my gosh, I hope the lights stay on. See, our Babylon is the world today. And you have three options. You could isolate yourself from the culture to where the light of Christ never is seen. Say, oh my goodness, that I'm going to be corrupt by everything. Jesus didn't take that attitude. He came in as the perfect, holy God in the flesh and penetrated the darkness. We don't assimilate into the culture. We don't do the things that the culture does. We don't be entertained the same way the culture is. We don't, we don't um, uh, find enjoyment in the same way a sinful world does. We understand what God's commands are and what obedience to those commands are. And the light breaks through. You see, God wants to bless a broken world. And oftentimes, God is going to use his people, oftentimes in supernatural ways, to bless a world that needs to see his glory. He'll take an impossible situation and he'll work through his people. Bringing glory to him. We walk by the flesh so much. We don't approach the world as if there's a God who can do something amazing through us. When God all along is wanting to do amazing things through us. Chapter 2 is important in Daniel because as Chris will deal with next week, these amazing prophecies concerning world history foretold in advance the front end of the chapter is what I'm dealing with today, dealing with the practical aspect of how God can take his people and work supernaturally through them, and not only for it to accomplish his plans, but to bless a broken world, to bless broken people, to bless those who don't know God so that they may come to know him. One of the most amazing things to me, and people may argue with me, but you'll see in chapter 4 that you're wrong, that you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He comes to true faith. I absolutely believe that. When you read 
In his own words in chapter 4, you're going to see that. But Daniel and his friends had a lot to do with setting that up. They didn't throw bricks at Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't throw rocks at all the other wise men that didn't believe the way they believed. They chose to be people of influence, understanding that God can use them in a way that the world would respond differently to. And that's what God wants to do with us. That's why Daniel, to me, is so relevant. That we are living in a culture, it is what it is. I always told my kids, it is what it is and you are who you are. In other words, these are the circumstances and the way you respond to them is who you are. You can't hide that. And so we look into Daniel chapter uh, 2 and an impossible situation is going to take place. Begins with a dream in verse 1. But the first thing I need you to see is that impossible situations are opportunities for God. And we should see that more than anybody. Impossible situations aren't impossible for God's people. It all starts in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and I believe that there's only one dream that's going to be interpreted, so I believe this was a recurring uh, dream of the same dream. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Did you ever have those problems before? Griselle got up the other night and she was reading the Bible in the middle of the night, and uh, she told me last night that she had woken up because she had a bad dream and she couldn't sleep. And what you'll see really in Nebuchadnezzar's life is he's going to have two issues that everyone has that lives a life apart from God. And that is human insecurity and human hostility. Nebuchadnezzar had everything in the world. You have to understand that. He had everything the world could possibly give. He was one of the richest, most powerful guys that ever lived before. And, and ancient writers will say so. Uh, the ancient um, writer and, and geographer Herodotus talked about the buildings of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar and what he did. And he, he said that he built a wall that was, that was something like 80 feet wide and that it was almost 300 feet high in certain areas. Imagine a wall like that and it was 56 miles long. That's some wall. We look at our border wall and I think it's 30 feet high. But, but Nebuchadnezzar had no problem with possessions. He had no problem when people have a lot of money. Uh, many of them want to build stuff because that's where they gain their identity. They want people to see buildings and they want to see what they... Herod the Great in the New Testament during the time of Christ was of the same fold. He wanted a reputation. He wanted identity with the things in this world. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the same way. He was all powerful and rich. He was really the first world technically superpower that existed. And yet here the man can't sleep at night. Because he has a bad dream. See, he's got this thing called insecurity. That in all of his possessions and in everything that he had, he could not solve his problem. This dream that he had was really troubling him because it was a dream from the Lord and he couldn't interpret it. He didn't know what it meant. And he knew it was a serious dream. He knew that it had something to do with him, but not 
the details. He didn't know what it all meant. And, and so he's, he's grabbing all his wise men and everybody together. And he's got access to the most brilliant people of his day, the, the most educated people of his day, the ones that the world would look at and say, man, they have all the wisdom in the world. And he, and he gathers them and, and he wants some counsel because they were his primary counselors. And yet he's still living in this insecurity and he also has this issue of hostility that as the story unfolds, you're going to see in his reactions what the man is really all about because you can always tell in somebody's life a lot about their, who they are by their reactions even as much as their actions. We say, hey, look at this, look at that. No, look at their reactions to certain situations. And as he begins to react, he reacts with hostility because he can't be at peace in the world if he's not at peace with God. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter what you have to, to help you um, in this world. If you don't have God, you're not going to have security and you're certainly not going to have the peace that's inside you. And those two things are always evident in people that don't know the Lord. And so we see that this story begins with Nebuchadnezzar's problem. We see that it's an impossible uh, situation. And he begins to respond in, in some bad ways. He, he begins to throw threats on the people. You could really see a man who's at trouble with himself when you begin to look at it. I think of like people like Bill Gates, who's made the news recently. He, people, you know, he's married 27 years, and as he's been married 27 years, have two kids together, and now their divorce is at the front lines. They're, the world is reading about their divorce. And I read one headline that talked about how uh, Bill and Melinda Gates are both lawyering up with Jeff Bezos' lawyers that took care of his divorce. And now they're saying things like there's a lot of bitterness and there's a lot of these things that are coming out. And the world looks at somebody like Bill Gates and they say, I want, I want what he has. Do you really? Do you really see a man that's at peace with God? Do you really see a man where you look at Nebuchadnezzar was the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of his day? And there was one thing lacking in his life. In all of these possessions, he lacked a relationship with God where Daniel, you're going to see him shine all the way through. You're going to see him at peace all the way through, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. Why? Because he trusted a sovereign God and had a relationship with the sovereign God. Your desires should be that. You don't know what you're asking for sometimes. All the wealth and power and wise men that he had access to, all the Everything he had at his disposal, he was still a man troubled by a dream. The wise men's peril reveals the impossible predicament therein. Look at verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. That's their job. They got paid well for it. They were paid big paychecks, they were at the top of the pay grade, and their job was to inform the king. That was his administration. Daniel was a part of that administration. And so as you begin to read the story, this is quite the demand because this isn't what normal kings would ask. Normal kings would tell their wise men 
the dreams, and then they would interpret those dreams, but not Nebuchadnezzar. As you read on, you find out that he demands them to interpret the dream, but also give him the dream. And they're like, Nebuchadnezzar, tell us the dream so we can interpret it. As you read on, you find out that Nebuchadnezzar's onto their game. There's always these Charltons. You just have to give them the right information, they'll jump on it. And so he says, no, I'm not giving it to you. You got two options. You give me the dream and its interpretation, you're going to have honor, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have everything that, that I have access to. I'm going to bless you in big ways, but if you don't, your death is sealed, you're going to be ripped limb by limb. How many know that that's a pretty severe situation? So they ask him, look, give us the dream, and, and, and they can't get, the, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not going to do that. And in verse 10, you see their understanding of how impossible this is. Look at verse 10. In their own words, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. They know that they're in serious trouble and that it is an impossible situation because they're bound by the natural world. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar is asking for something supernatural that they are unable. They were a bunch of charlatans. They were a bunch of phonies. Nebuchadnezzar knew that by asking. He said, you're just buying time and all this. Then they come to the conclusion, what you're asking, no man can do. And the reason is, is because when you don't believe in God, you're bound by the natural world. That uh, the natural circumstances is what you're confined by. That there's no room for the supernatural. And Richard Dawkins was one of the most well-known atheists. If you look him up on the internet, you'll see how well-known he is. Very, very intelligent man. Very, very smart. I got to give him that for credit. But he was an atheist and he denied that there was ever an existence of God and so he wrote this book called The God Delusion in 2006. And basically, Dawkins' view is that you have a simple choice. Either we believe in miracles and things like biblical prophecy, or we believe in the scientific understanding of the laws of nature, but not both. His belief is that for any intelligent person... The only option you have is the scientific laws of nature, and that belief in a personal God is a delusion. He wrote in his book these words, the 19th century is the last time when it was possible for an educated person to admit to believing in miracles like the virgin birth without embarrassment. When pressed, many educated Christians today are too loyal to deny the virgin birth and the resurrection. But it embarrasses them because their rational minds know that it is absurd, so they would much rather not be asked. Boy, is he wrong. You got people across seas that are dying because of that belief. But see, Richard Dawkins and other atheists like him want to say that you're embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the virgin birth, and I'm not ashamed of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's foolishness, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for those who are perishing, but to us it's the power of salvation. 
Only a blind man can write a book like that with all the scientific facts and all the uh, statistics and everything else that he has. And that certainly wasn't Daniel's words. Look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. (laughs) Just that phrase, but there is a God in heaven. Listen to me, you have to come to a point in your life where you either believe that there is a God in heaven that does the supernatural, that can intervene in this natural world in supernatural ways to glorify himself, or you don't believe it. You're going to come up to a position in your life like Nebuchadnezzar where all the resources you have access to cannot help you. Then what do you do? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977